Hey, welcome to the Pottercast, episode number three. I'm Michael Potter. Thanks so much for joining me. Excited about this one. As many of you know, Grand Canyon University going to their first NCAA Division I National Championship tournament ever in school history. I get to be the broadcaster for them, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But in this episode, I get to touch base and chat with the guy who really put GCU on the map back in the 70s. Bay Forest could have gone pretty much anywhere in the country, had offers everywhere to play basketball, chose tiny Grand Canyon College, and hasn't looked back since. Bay and Coach Ben Lindsay led a team that won a national championship in 1975, and then Bay went on and had a couple of years in the pros. But the most interesting thing about talking to Bay is just his deep faith and how that faith really guided every decision he made in his life. Many decisions, as you'll hear, they're head scratchers. You think, why in the world would a guy do that? He even questioned them sometimes, but his deep faith always led him down the right path. And what he's doing now uh, with his ministry is just fantastic. So it's a pleasure and an honor to get to chat with him. I hope you enjoy this Pottercast with Bay Fork. Well, Bay, thanks for being a guest uh, on the Pottercast. Um, you know, I came to GCU in 1986 and your name was everywhere in the record book, still is. So um, I knew of you, but I never got to meet you. And fortunately, GCU and NCAA tournament now. That popped up, and now we get a chance to uh, to get together and chat. So thanks for being a guest. Thanks a lot, Michael. Glad to be with you. So I want to start from from the beginning with your relationship with GCU. Um, we talked about it on the halftime show that you did for me, but but tell the folks listening, you know, you were highly sought after by almost everybody to play basketball coming out of high school. How did you end up? Because at that time, GCU wasn't as what it is today. GCU was what, 600 students? Uh, yeah. NAIA, nobody even knew where it was. How did you get to GCU? Well, you know, I had a lot of history there because my father went to school when it started in Prescott in 49. And so uh, I knew all about Canyon and all of that. In fact, uh, uh, my brother was born on campus there, you know, at the school, a year older than me. And so uh, we go way back as far as for uh, knowing the school. And because of that, I had an uncle, Paul Barnes, who was in charge of promotional affairs there at the school. And he had hit me up on that. But at the time, you know, I was a high school All-American and I was had been written up in Sports Illustrated, one of the best players coming out of high school, going into college the next year. And I had UCLA and North Carolina and Maryland and Indiana and, and all uh, recruited me. So, I, you know, I was thinking big time with it just because I thought, well, I'll use this for God's glory however I can. And I finally narrowed it down to three schools, Arizona State University, because I'd lived in Arizona and I thought it'd be kind of cool to go back to Arizona. Ned Wolk recruited me mm -hmm. and then Oregon State University. And uh, that was just an opportunity to be closer to home if I did that. And the University of Hawaii, because I wanted to travel to Hawaii. And so I let them recruit me and that was fun, you know, and they fly you first class ever they go, everywhere you go for that. So that was all good. And that was when my uncle then uh, hit me up about the possibility of going to Grand Canyon. And so the more I prayed about it, the more I felt that's where God wanted me. And fortunately, I had parents that had taught me the importance of listening to God and following him in obedience on wherever he would tell me to go. And even though I thought it was quite a sacrifice, and I wasn't sure I was really thrilled about it, especially with how ugly Grand Canyon was during that time. <laughs> it was the ugliest campus you ever saw in your life. I mean, if I'd ever gone to Point Loma, even as a small school and seen them, there's no way I would have gone to Grand Canyon. Right. But you know what? God just used all of that. And it was a great opportunity for me to say, God, this isn't about me. I gave my life to you years ago. And wherever you want me, that's where I want to be. So you're telling me uh, Grand Canyon College wasn't, I mean, it wasn't as nice as University of Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> I go over there now. I can't even find 
my dorm or well, my dorm's down, but I you know, know. I, I mean, the biggest, nicest building on campus was Ethington Memorial. And, and, you know, there's just nothing there that's anything at all anymore. So it's kind of fun to see what's happened with that. And I'm so pleased for the school that has done so well. Uh, it's just been a great beacon uh, there in Phoenix. And so I'm really pleased, especially since they reach out to underprivileged kids the way they do so much and very proud of uh, what uh, President Mueller's done there and how he's pulled them onto the map the way they have. have. But then I think the biggest thing for me is when they brought in uh, Bryce Drew, that just did it for me. I was just like, now you're talking. I, I loved it when they had uh, Russ there, but now that they've got uh, Bryce there and doing what he's doing, I just feel like there's unlimited potential for where they're headed. Well, what is it about uh, Bryce Drew? Because I know you had a great coach, Ben Lindsay, that you talk about as being the best coach you ever played for. What is it about Bryce? Do you see a little bit of Ben in him? Yeah, I do. I think the fact that not only is he a great player, and Ben Lindsay was a great player. Uh, I think he scored 43 points at uh, Canyon, and I only got 42. Of course, I always <laughs> gave him bits and said, you pulled me after I got 42. He wouldn't let me go anymore. I don't think that's really true. <laughs> My coach was very supportive of me. But, you know, uh, Bryce is the same way. He's a guy that he was a great player, but then he understands the game and knows how to get the most out of his players. Well, that's where Coach Lindsay was uh, with that. And I think the other thing is Coach Lindsay knew how to take all of his players and get the most out of them, depending on what their personality was. I was I was kind of a soft guy. Uh, Bobby Knight recruited me from Indiana, and I was like, I don't think so. He's not throwing <laughs> chairs at me. He's not screaming at me. <laughs> so I just couldn't do it. you know. And I played on the Aloha Classic with Scott May and Quinn Buckner, who both played for yeah. uh, uh, Bobby whenever I was a senior. And we won the, the Aloha Classic, and we got on great and all. But they were tough guys. They could handle somebody yelling and screaming at them. I couldn't do that. And Coach Lindsey knew he didn't have to do that with me, though. All he had to do was – Tell me what he needed and encourage me, and I'd run through a brick wall for him. Well, I think that's where uh, Bryce is at as well. I think he's the kind of guy that knows how to get the most out of each person's ind individual personality. Some guys probably need to be motivated different than others, and I think he knows how to do that. I heard the other day where he brought in one of the tougher guys, and the guy said, "I was he was praying for me in his office. That's what I'm talking about. He's there to encourage these guys, get the most out of them, but most of these guys aren't going pro. They're not going to do anything like that at all. But And even if they do, it's great. But the big thing is what Bryce is doing is he's developing character. He's making men out of these guys. And that's what I'm so pleased with. You know, you talk a lot about that uh, that relationship and faith. And obviously, there's a relationship your uncle asking you to pray about it and then praying about it and the family you brought you were brought up in. Tell me about that. What was your family like? Was, was faith always a huge part from, from the time you were born? It absolutely was. My father was a great athlete at Grand Canyon. He played both baseball and basketball. And for the home games, he played for Coach Brazel. And for the home games, he would stand at home plate. And I heard stories of them pitching to him. And he, hit, he just hit one after another out of the park. Wow. He could just crush the ball. He was 6'6", 235 pounds. And everybody knew my dad. And so I had this dad that was a great athlete. But more than that, my dad loved Jesus with all his heart. And my daddy was my hero and my mentor in life. And so when my daddy said Jesus is the answer, I watched his life. And when I saw him live it, 
I knew it was real in his life because I watched him live it all the time. And so when he told me that Jesus was the answer for my life, I wanted that in my life too. So as an eight-year-old, I gave my life to Christ. As a 12-year-old, I surrendered to full-time ministry. My dad was a, a licensed minister, but he was a school teacher. We lived in Prescott. And he coached at, at coached and taught school at Chino Valley, a little tiny school up there. Yeah. But, you know, that was home for us for the first 16 years. And then we moved to Oregon. And so my dad was still teaching school there. And that's where, for my junior and senior year, I averaged 25 points and 20 rebounds a game. And that's where I started getting some recognition. And at that point, then I had to make that decision as to where I was going to go, go from there. My dad was great with just saying, Bay, you go where God wants you. So when I told him, Daddy, I think it's Grand Canyon, he said, that's fine. Go there. And he, But it wasn't like he was pushing me for me to go to Grand Canyon. He wanted me where God wanted me. Did you ever have any second thoughts? I mean, you had those big schools after you, and then when you got to Grand Canyon, any second thoughts in those four years? Oh, yeah. There were always the times where I'm watching all the other teams on TV and, and all of that going on. And, of course, when I go to the Aloha Classic my senior year at, at the, for the for the big uh, all-star tournament they have there and all, it made me wonder a little bit. But to tell you the truth, I had so much fun playing with my teammates, and I had so much fun playing for Coach Lindsay. Uh, who is still just a close, dear friend. His wife, Jerry, is on our board. She's on, one of our board members for, for our ministry. So the relationships that were built there, you know, I couldn't ever replace those. So to tell you the truth, never once have I looked back and said I really blew it. But there were times where you kind of wondered. I'll tell you where it was the hardest was John Wooden was our color uh, commentator for our games when I was with Athletes in Action. We had a couple of home games, games over in Southern California. And getting to meet John Wooden and knowing what a great man he was, I, I always wondered what it would have been like to have played for John Wooden. You know, you talk about um, still having relationships with those teammates the, these years later. I mean, that's, that's what really strikes me as building a program as opposed to just trying to, you know, get some wins and things like that. And it's amazing how many good programs you hear kids talk like that. They're still, they still call their coach. They still hit them up, you know, throughout their entire life. Their coaches are going to their weddings and when their kids are getting right. married and things like that. It's kind of amazing to, to, to build that. And that's what you found at GCU. Yeah. And that's the, definitely the case with Coach Lindsay. We just had our uh, 45th reunion this last year. And, of course, they introduced us there at the, the Canyon at the halftime. And that was all fun to be able to do that. But what was really fun was how many guys showed up. We had everybody except for the guys that had died. They all came except for one guy that just couldn't come because of a major conflict that he had there. Nobody was going to miss out on being there for Coach Lindsey. Uh, Coach has got cancer, and he's fighting through it, and he's in, he's in recovery really well at this point. But we don't know how much longer we have with him, though right now he's strong as an ox and doing great uh, with it. But these guys love Coach. I mean, they would, they'd do anything for him. And, you know, Mike Haddo is the uh, golf coach up at Emory Riddle up in Prescott right now mm -hmm. with his wife. And, uh, of course, Mike was one of the best shooting guards I ever saw in my life. He was phenomenal and should have gone pro. But because he was 6'5 and really skinny, they were a little afraid of whether or not he could make it in the NBA. I think he definitely could have played in the NBA. And David Everett, our little point guard, he was phenomenal as a ball handler. They'd put a press on us, and he'd smile. And he'd just, <laughs> he'd just like, bring it. And, you know, they just couldn't – they couldn't – you know, take advantage of us that way because we had pretty much every position covered. And having a coach that knew how to put all that together was worth a fortune for us. What was it like that year you guys won the the, the championship in 75? Did you, did you know going in, hey, this is going to be our year? Well, you know, we were 
like 24 and one. And so, I mean, we were really good. We'd only lost the one game and we knew that there was a good chance that we'd do well. And we'd been there enough that we weren't starstruck by showing up again there. But, you know, any year, I mean, you play five games in, in six nights, you, all it takes is one bad night and you're done, you know, with that. So, and you were tired by the end. Anybody, I got, I sprained my ankle one year and that was a real problem for us, you know, with me not being at full strength. But when we got there that year, we really felt like we had a good chance. But it was kind of interesting because we were going to play Alcorn A&M uh, for our third game. And I remember I was so impressed by them. All these athletes that could jump out of the gym, they were just really impressive guys. And I told our coach, man, I don't think we can beat these guys. They run and they're, they're crazy good. And coach said, no, oh, we're going to beat them. We're going to play our game. We're going to keep everything under control. They're going to get frustrated. And before long, they're going to get upset, and we're going to beat them easily. It was exactly what he said. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe it. And here I'm so intimidated by these guys. And by the end of the game, they're yelling at each other and screaming, and we're still playing our game. And I think I had 36 points and like 18 rebounds. And and I, was, I wasn't sure we could even play with them. And Coach knew what – he knew what would work. And we just – completely blew them out of the water. So it was kind of fun to, to do that. out. And then we played Midwestern University for our last game. Uh, actually, uh, we played uh, the team that was the toughest was probably Illinois Wesleyan. Remember Jack Sigma that played for the oh, yeah. uh, for the Sonics? He was playing yeah. for him. And he had that step into you reverse pivot. And it was so hard because when he reverse pivoted, you almost got hit in the face with that elbow when he came around. And I was having a hard time stopping him. I didn't know what to do. And I said, Coach, at halftime, I said, I can't stop this guy. And I normally block shots. I averaged, you know, eight or ten block shots a game, you know. And so normally I was blocking a lot of shots. And Coach came up with a great plan, and he brought one of our guards over and put him right behind Sigma every time. And he shot that ball from behind his head. Yeah. And when he brought it behind his head, we blocked a couple from behind his head. It threw his game off, and we so we beat Jack in the Illinois Westland. Well, the last game we're playing the Midwestern University. There are eleven thousand students, and here we are, eight hundred students at this time, and we're playing a school of eleven thousand. And they thought they were going to just take it to us, but Coach just had us play our game all the way through. We played smart. We didn't push it too much. We'd run if we could, but we settled it down and and worked our plays. And when we won, I guess what was the most fun for me? I mean, sure, it was great to win. And then I was voted most valuable player of the tournament, but we had three of us on the all-tournament team. But you know what was probably the most fun for all of us is they stopped and they said, this is really unusual. The announcer said, this is really unusual. This has never happened in the history of the NAIA tournament. But the vote is unanimous for the Sportsmanship Award, and it goes to Grand Canyon. They never gave the Sportsmanship Award to the, the championship team, and they said Grand Canyon College gets it because it was a unanimous uh, wow. a vote else and that's because they saw a difference in the way we played we were teammates we were brothers and we loved the lord and at the end sports illustrated came over to take pictures of us and interview us and we toasted with pink lemonade and sang the doxology praise ah. god <laughs> they didn't know what to do they kind of walked away like okay this is weird we don't know what to do with these guys <laughs> That's fantastic. Were, were all the guys on the team uh, believers? Did, did some of them come to be believers when they were? There were a couple just... that came to be believers uh, during that time. Uh, coach didn't insist on anybody being a believer to be a part of the team, yeah. but they knew what our 
policy was. They knew the stand we took. So you didn't have foul language. You didn't have guys going out and drinking and partying and doing drugs or anything like that. So it was kind of nice to have a team that was really, we really were brothers. We were family. And yeah, definitely a couple of the guys uh, got saved at while they were there. And Mike Haddow now, you know, loving the Lord and David, David Everett. It's just pretty cool to see what happened with all of that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Bay, so you, after you graduate, I mean, you'd been drafted. You went back for your senior year. Um, you graduate. I, I, I believe the Sonics drafted in the first round, but then you went and played for um, Athletes in Action. How did that all transpire when you left Grand Canyon? Yeah, I was drafted after my junior year, but I just felt like God kind of asked me, hey, did you commit to four years? And it was kind of like, yeah. And you were like, well, are you, is your word going to be worth anything? you got teammates that are counting on you to come back and play a fourth year. So I just thought, you know what? That's true. I, I promised my coach and I promised my teammates I'd play four years. So, And I had a good contract uh, back during that time. But I went ahead and passed up on that. And uh, uh, the contract back at that time was the Kansas City Kings were now the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. They had Fitzsimmons. I would have liked to have played for Cotton. He would have been a good coach to have played for. But I went and went back and played. We went to Nationals, but we didn't win the whole thing. And then I was drafted number 19. But that was actually the first player of the second round because there were only 18 teams mm, during gotcha. that time uh, in the NBA. But what was fun was, you know, back during that time when you got drafted, you sat by a phone. And I'd give them a phone number. It was my mom and dad's phone number in their house. And I was married, but we went over to my mom's, uh, my mom and dad's place to do it. And I get a call. I answer the phone. It's Bill Russell. And he calls me. He says, yo, babe, this is Bill Russell. And I'm going, I'm telling my teammates, I'm talking to Bill Russell. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know, I mean, the guy's got more NBA championship rings than fingers. Yeah. And he says, hey, you block shots like I block shots. Man, I got you on our team. I'm excited to have you. And I was ready to sign the contract. And wouldn't you know it, that's when God puts it on my heart. To I had Athletes in Action contact me, and they said, hey, Bay, what would you think about coming with Athletes in Action? Help them make a name for our program, along with getting some more Christian training on how to share your faith. You know, we were playing North Carolina and Maryland and Marquette, Minnesota, and all the big schools. And at halftime, we got a chance to stand up with a microphone. And anybody that wanted to stay in the Coliseum or in the arena got to hear our testimonies. So, you know, I shared it in North Carolina in front of 10,000 people or so. So it was great with that. But when they asked me, they said, what would you think about that? I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is my chance. Yeah. Bill Russell, you know, and but I started praying, and sure enough, I really felt God made it real clear. I don't have time to go into what happened with that there, but he made it pretty clear where he wanted me to be. And I turned down that contract. I'll tell you, I was considered the biggest idiot in the history of the NBA. First player in the history of the NBA to turn down a guaranteed contract to play for an amateur team instead. But they offered me $10,000 a year, so it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> Tell, tell me, you mentioned that you were married at the time. Tell me about how you met your wife and tell me about that whole that whole story. Man, that story was a great one because uh, I, I moved from uh, Prescott to Oregon and I was going into my junior year and the school up there is a little dinky school, about 300 students. And I had a brother that was a senior that was an all-state left-handed quarterback, uh, basketball player and pitcher on the baseball team. I'm, and he's 6'3", I'm 6'8", my younger brother's 6'6". We, and he's a sophomore, and all of a sudden we're headed uh, to that, considering going to that town, and we went up there to decide whether we were going to move there. They, the town had a picnic for us. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> they, said, they really wanted us to come. Recruiting. So all these people were there, and I had a good friend that had just moved there before me, and Paul was on the front porch with me, and I sat. I looked at a girl with hair to her waist, 
wearing bell bottoms. She was turned out she was wearing her dad's bell bottoms from the Navy, and she was looking good. Turned out she was a, a cheerleader at the school there. And I said, Paul, who is that? He said, Don't even think about it, Dave. That's <laughs> She's a senior. She's not a Christian, and she's rough. She's uh, living with or messing around with a pretty rough crowd, drugs and alcohol. And I was like, oh man, because I wouldn't date an unbeliever. I was a believer, and I know what Second Corinthians six says: don't do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so I wouldn't date her. But my best friend Paul and three girls and I all started our own youth group while we were there. And uh, wasn't long after that that Peg was invited by one of the girls to come. And she said, you know what? Nothing else is working in my life. I think I'll go. And she came uh, that night and she left saying, I don't know what these kids have, but whatever it is, I want that. And within two weeks, one of the girls asked her if she was a Christian. She was offended. She said, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. She did. She said, I believe in God and I live in America. And she thought that's what made her a Christian. (laughs) When the girl explained what it meant to have personal relationship with Christ, You've never heard, you've never seen anybody get so saved that Peg did. Mm. And guess who was there to offer to help any way you could right after that? What a guy. What a guy. I started dating her within a month or so after uh, she got saved. And we dated for three and a half years. And we'll celebrate 47 years this June 1st. And you guys, I mean, she's a huge part of what you're doing now, right? You guys are doing that together, the Focus Ministries? Absolutely. We love traveling together, and she'll speak to women. She only has an interest in speaking to women, and she travels all over the world speaking to women's events. Uh, She's been, you know, all over Indonesia, Estonia, and Israel, and she goes everywhere. But then we travel together, and we'll do ministry, uh, the two of us, and she'll split off the ladies, and I'll take the men. We'll do pastors and wives conferences. We're doing one up in Oregon uh, this this fall, and and we go and do uh, husband and wife seminars, that kind of thing. And then as well, I'll preach in all the churches where we go. So we make a pretty good combo. She's a really good teacher, discipler, and I'm an evangelist. Just let me talk about Jesus and have a relationship with him. It's pretty amazing because uh, we just counted up this last year. and Since we came back from Africa in 1992, we've seen over 26,000 salvation decisions. So God's been really good to us. He's, He's just allowed us to get in on so much that we just praise him for his goodness in our life. I want to go back to something. You said you were you were you were saved. I think you said at eight, but you were called to to do what you're doing now when you were twelve. But it took you a while to get there because you were playing basketball and everything. Still, right. I, I mean, did you ever think that um, you know after, at twelve you're like, hey, I know I need to do this, but you didn't do it for a while. Did you ever think, oh, maybe not, maybe this, maybe that? How did that all transpire to get you to where you are right now? Well, it was really interesting because as a twelve year old, I was at a, at a camp up in the a Christian camp up in Prescott. And while I was there, God just gripped my heart. It was very clear that he was calling me into full-time ministry. And I thought a missionary of some kind. And I always growing up, I always loved Spanish. I was president of my Spanish class. My best friend was Hispanic in Prescott. And so our neighbors on both sides were Hispanic. So that was just a part of my life. And I, I always thought God would call me somewhere, you know, to work with uh, maybe in Mexico or Central America or South America. But as a 12-year-old, when my mom came to pick me up, I was so excited to tell her about getting called into ministry. And unbeknownst to me, my grandfather, who was a missionary to the Cowboys and Indians of northern Arizona up in the Sholo area, he had uh, died of a massive heart attack. And he was my hero. I mean, I just besides my dad, he was the coolest guy in my life because he just preached everywhere. And he rode a horse and, you know, and did all of that with the Cowboys when he was preaching. And my mom says that my response to her was, well, I guess I'll just take over for grandpa. So apparently oh, wow. it was kind of a, a bit of a 
passing of the baton or the mantle, you know. And so I'd always thought I'd be in ministry. But then when I was doing basketball, I thought that was the kind of ministry I'd be doing at the time. So when they told me that I couldn't play anymore because I snapped a lower vertebrae in my back while I was playing for the Suns. And then two days later said, hey, by the way, you have cancer of the, of the thyroid. I went from that well-paid NBA player to an unemployed cancer victim in two days. Well, that was a great time to reevaluate. And so Peg and I just said, well, God's obviously moving to somewhere. So that's when we moved up to Colorado, to Pagosa Springs, Colorado, where we live now. I was a youth pastor for seven years. Then we went five years to Kenya as missionaries, worked at a missionary kids boarding school, loved it there. But then God called us back to the ministry we're doing now. Was it difficult when uh, your basketball career ended? I mean, it wasn't your choice, right? You just had, had to end it. Was that hard? You know what was the hardest thing for me? I really wasn't a good pro, and I can honestly say that. It was interesting. One time, Alvin Adams, my best friend on the team, Alvin and Paul Westfall were my two best friends on the team. Alvin told a friend of mine up here one time, he said, you know, I think Bay was probably a better player than I was, which was quite a saying quite a bit for Alvin, you know, being a, what, 13-year pro and all. Yeah. Alvin was amazing. But I was a little stronger than Alvin. I could shoot as well as he could. We were both known as the two best passing centers in the NBA. but. Alvin then went on after he said, Bay was probably a better player than me. He said, Bay just didn't have a head for the game. It was so true because I cared what everybody thought. Mm. And you can't care what they think. I wanted to please the coach, my teammates, the fans, the everybody. And you just can't do that. And so I spent too much time worrying about all that. And I'd always been a good free throw shooter. I got to the Suns. And I couldn't find the rim half the time because I was just feeling the pressure of that. So that was just a, uh, so in that way, I didn't mind leaving the NBA because it really wasn't always fun for me, but I loved the money. I loved the influence. I loved all of that. So I knew I didn't have any say over that. I had a five-year guaranteed contract, but I had to show up in shape. And so since I couldn't show up, it was clear God was doing something. So I was just like, okay, God, what's next? And he clearly moved us into what we're we're doing now. So never once have I looked back and regretted it at all. You mentioned Paul Westfall. Of course, he came to GCU after Southwest Bible College and won a national championship, then went to, you know, the Suns, and of course, just uh, sadly passed away tragically. Yes. Um, great guy. I, I, I got a chance to interview him a few times, and Good. when I got to Grand Canyon in 86, he was just the coolest guy I'd ever seen in my life. You know, yeah. <laughs> ex-pro, just that Southern California attitude, but a yep. super great guy, but he was that super nice guy too, but boy, when he got in on the court, he he was all in in the game. That's right. And Paul, when he got on the floor, he knew how good he was, and nobody was going to convince him differently. And he was the guy, like a Michael Jordan, whoever, at the end of the game, get me the ball. He wanted the ball. He wanted that last shot. He was so confident, and he was the only player I ever knew from about 15 foot in. He was ambidextrous. I watched him go up one time from 15 foot to shoot a left-handed jump shot. He was left-handed. Guy started to block his shot. He switched it to his right hand and made a perfect right-hand jump shot. Who does that? I'm, I was just amazing to watch him. And so probably the most fun for me was playing horse with Paul and Alvin. They played the craziest games of horse you ever saw in your life. And, and then the worst thing, I think I was joking with you about it before when we were talking, going and playing water basketball in his backyard. He was one of the first guys to have a goal on the side of his of his pool. And the worst thing you could possibly do was beat Paul because you didn't quit until he won. So you'd finally, <laughs> you'd finally say, man, I got to go home. He said, you're not leaving. You're not going anywhere because he was so competitive. And it was fun to have a guy like that on our team that was so smart. He played like a coach, and he, that's why he was such a great coach. But I'm just so thrilled 
the man loved Jesus, and there wasn't any question about his walk with the Lord at the end of his life. And so, you know, for him and Cindy, it was just neat to see a couple that loved the Lord and honored him all the way to the end with that. Yeah, the, I got a chance to interview him uh, in June, uh, really about maybe a month before that that announcement came out. And, and yeah. I, I don't know if he was sick at the time or not, but great conversation. But he was most excited about um, continuing to get back and, and help GCU, but also with Arizona Christian, what he was right. doing there, because that's, that's now the school that he'd started at with Southwest Bible College. And he was so excited to be a part of that. So he, he really impressive. loved giving back. He coached it. At uh, Southwest Bible College, now Arizona Christian, and at Grand Canyon, and had championships at both. Tell me, he wasn't a great coach. You know that was amazing there, and I thought he's one of the best coaches they had at the Suns too. But there's so much politics with the Suns that you know uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a good coach or not. They're gonna that's the first thing you do is get rid of the coach if they're not winning. <laughs> you know right, I mean? right, yeah. You're get casualty. Hey, Bay, we're almost out of time here. But what? so what, what does the future hold for you? Where do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years? Do you look that far you know ahead? Uh, we don't ever plan on retiring. I think it's nonsense for Christians to retire. We don't retire, not from not from sharing Christ. And so I hope to be preaching when I'm 80 years old. I'm 66 now, and uh, we plan to continue what we're doing. And so the whole thing for us is just to be able to continue in ministry the way we're doing. And so anybody's interested, again, have them check out focusministries.org. And we travel all over the world speaking. I just got back from Kansas yesterday and uh, was doing a multi-church revival series there. Spoke at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event. I'm one of the national speakers for FCA. So I love what I do. We love that part of it. But we also bring pastors and wives and missionaries and wives into our place. We live in paradise. And we live on 35 acres here with the rest of our family. And I've got four really nice horses. And we've got a swimming pond. And uh, we've got kayaks and ATVs. And we just bring people up and just love on them. Wow. Pastors just need a break. And the missionaries, they just need a chance to get away and sit. And my mom and dad are both gone now. And so they left their house to us to use for ministry. It's 15 foot away from ours. And we bring people up and we just love on them and, and show them a great time. So in between our speaking, we're right here. And I love where I'm at. And if I'm on a horse, I'm a happy man. So the decision to go to little tiny Grand Canyon College didn't seem to have any bad effects on the rest of your life, huh? No, I can't see you. <laughs> I think it's been one of the best things I ever did. I've never once regretted Canyon. And uh, again, I'm so excited about what's happening with the school right now. And I told, I sent an email to Bryce yesterday and said, I'll recruit for you anytime. Let's try to get together and meet. And I go to Africa and I found a seven footer one time over there that I wish that I would have been able to send to Grand Canyon, but it wasn't the right timing for that. I'd have sent him to Bryce in a heartbeat. So I'm going to tell Bryce, I'm going to find him a couple of these big dogs up there that, uh, uh, out there in Africa that maybe will really help the program. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, hopefully when we get back to normal next season, we'll get to see you down at the arena again. Absolutely. I plan on being down and being able to check things out. I told Bryce if I was around, I'd love to give a challenge to his team sometime at practice too. So I don't know. I'll probably be way more involved now that Bryce is there. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you'll really like it, uh, Bay. I, you know, I, I haven't got to meet him as much being the broadcaster for him this year as normal because I haven't been able to be around the team as much. But the guys I've gotten to know, not only Bryce and his faith, but Jamal Walker and Ed Schilling and Casey Shaw um, and the entire staff are they, you know, they, their team T-shirt this year was J-O-Y, Jesus first, yourself last and others in between. And so um, they really believe that and preach that. Man, I love that because one of my favorite teams is Indiana Wesleyan University. You know, they've won the NAI several times. And on their wall, their their wall says, I am third. 
In fact, I like that so much that I've made bracelets, the rubber wristbands that say I am third on it. Because that's what Jesus was asked one time. Matthew 22 is asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? He didn't even hesitate. He quoted the Shema from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 6. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he goes on. He says, oh, by the way, the second commandment's likened to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And those coaches say, okay, Jesus first, your teammates second, or those around you, and you're third. And most athletes are going, third place? We don't want third place. But what a great place for us to be. I am third. Hey, Bay, that's a perfect way to end this. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, look forward to seeing you down in Phoenix. Thanks, Michael. I hope we get a chance to do this again sometime. Take care.